Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where we talk quality of healthcare and explore what that actually means. Let's dig into performance measurements, the equipped platform, pharmacy goals, and personal goals. We will also occasionally cover topical healthcare news and maybe throw into the conversation a few of our own nerdy passions and hobbies. So turn us up. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. This is your host, Nick Dorich, and welcome you to the next episode of the Quality Corner Show. We hope everyone is doing well and that you're able to stay safe and healthy. While this episode is going to focus on topics other than COVID-19, we would remind our listeners to stay up to date with updates from the CDC, the World Health Organization, and of course, your local public health officials. Without getting too much into the topic, it is important to recognize that medicine and pharmacy commit to evidence-based practice. The evidence for prevention, identification, and treatment of COVID-19 continues to evolve, so please stay tuned for the latest information. Now, as we jump into today's episode, we're going to focus on part of the discussion that we had last week in episode 24. The final parts of that podcast focused on how pharmacy has a bigger role to play that is being explored to support patient care. So that had us thinking, why don't we talk more about how pharmacy can be better leveraged to support patient outcomes? We won't be solving the problems related to this topic in just today's podcast episode, but we do have a fantastic guest that will provide some unique insights Uh, and talk to this topic, and we'll discuss the barriers that exist for pharmacy, and we'll also bring some ideas for pharmacists that we can improve upon this situation. Now that I have hyped up our guest, allow me to introduce Paul Larratt. Paul, welcome to the PQS Quality Corner Show. Uh, Good afternoon, Nick. It's uh, great to speak with you again. I'm hoping that everyone in the PQS family is still healthy, and following our uh, social distancing guidelines, uh, uh, I bet. So that's good. Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for joining, Paul. Before we jump into questions for today, it's always good to explain to our audience who our guest is and why they've been brought on the show. So do you mind giving us a quick rundown on your current role and then also to explore some of your career highlights and experiences? Sure, Nick. Uh, currently, I'm the uh, dean of the college, at the College of Pharmacy at the University of Rhode Island. Um, as far as my career goes, I've never been a great career planner. I've kind of wobbled uh, going after experiences that I thought were interesting. So when I graduated from pharmacy school in the early 80s, I practiced community pharmacy a bit, practiced hospital pharmacy a bit, and then went back to the University of Rhode Island to run their experiential education and continuing education programs. Um, it was funny, about 10 years into that, my dean, a wonderful mentor, suggested that I needed my calling card, my union card for being in academia, which was a PhD. And he helped me get that. And uh, after that, my career continued to wobble as I was a faculty member here. Uh, I spent a little bit of time down at Kennedy Space Center as a NASA fellow. Um, I helped to start a pharmacy management company for a little while that we took public. Uh, I spent a year as a health policy fellow in the United States Senate, which is where I, I met Nick originally, or spent some time with Nick. And now I'm back here as Dean. Well, thank you for that description, Paul. And I, I know there's a lot of information. And uh, as you had mentioned, you and I have known each other for a while. And sometimes I forget how many unique experiences that, that, uh, that you've had. You're certainly the only pharmacist I know personally that has had involvement with, with NASA, which I think is perhaps the coolest item. But it's we'll get into <laughs> But uh, so I certainly want to thank you for the time today to discuss 
how we optimize the role of the pharmacist. Um, as the dean for a pharmacy school, you must have a very busy schedule right now as many events are being moved around or going virtual. Uh, I like to think that talking about pharmacy and how we push the profession forward should closely align with your responsibilities as a pharmacy school dean. So uh, now we're going to go ahead and jump into our questions for today. And uh, with that, in this podcast series, we've discussed how quality measures are a part of healthcare. Uh, and in many facets, these performance measures uh, are being utilized for a variety of healthcare practitioners. When we talk about health, health economics and population-based data, some things that you've had prior experience with, what can we say about the evidence related to pharmacist-led interventions? I think my theme for this answer is probably how we demonstrate value as pharmacists. And uh, since I've been around for a little bit, little while, uh, some history probably. I think of two early intervention type programs that we, we have researched, uh, one in the 1980s and one in the 1990s. In the 80s, we started up the Brown Bag Prescription Evaluation Program, sort of the predecessor to the MTM programs. And we were able to quantify what types of interventions pharmacists could do. What we didn't do very well was to value them. You know, what, what value do they have to the patient, the payer, the employer, all the stakeholders in what we do? Um, then in the 1990s, the Asheville Project came along, which, which many of, of, of our listeners will know uh, much about. Um, the, um, the Asheville Project was very good at quantifying economic and clinical and humanistic outcomes. However, after that, there, there were very few follow-ups, and I think they lagged behind by a few years. Uh, so now we're in the current situation. We now have numerous well-controlled studies that support the value of pharmacist interventions. And for me as an academic, it's kind of cool. It, it, it's, it's compelling the, uh, the information that they provide. But I think most importantly, we're starting to see it in the marketplace. We're starting to see in the commercial world, their value and what pharmacists do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I guess if you think about it, more and more pharmacists are really not, their compensation, their their value is not really tied to the product as much anymore. They're in settings where they're counseling high-risk patients, they're in clinics, they're in physician offices, uh, independent practices. And they're being paid in these roles because the commercial world is starting to see what their value is. So I think that's really the key to all this, is how we, we show that in a very pragmatic way. So Paul, if I'm gonna look at or summarize your answer here, there's one item that seems pretty consistent. You pointed out almost kind of decade by decade where there's been updates. And really it's pointing to the research that we're doing now is defining the future role for pharmacy. So when we, even if we go back to some of the brown bag or the Asheville, those were nice programs or items at the time related to certain services or what pharmacists could do. But we have to continue to uh, evolve our research, our how we document, and to your point, how we take account for responsibility for those actions that pharmacists are doing and tie that to expanding those opportunities. So with that in mind, I, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. It almost seems like we're going to need to be continuously developing this kind of research and pointing to the involvement of the pharmacist so that creates new opportunities for pharmacy to be involved with the healthcare system. And do you mind responding to that? Yeah, sure. The, the word that came to mind is exactly the word you used, evolution evolves. And with these types of programs, they build on each other. And I think that's what's happening now. And to continue to be successful in this realm, I, we really do need to keep uh, 
evolving our research and the platforms that we use. Uh, certainly the data that we use is much more robust now than it was 20, 30 years ago. I think we need to continue to leverage that to show, show our value and to progress into new areas and, and new initiatives. Excellent. So we're talking evidence here and documentation, and, but that's going to have to translate or that will translate to defining the opportunity for pharmacy going forward. So with your background, your experience and your knowledge, it gives a really unique perspective. And I'm sure that this next question is something that you get very frequently from students or prospective students. And maybe it's been items that you've discussed in policy circles or with health plans. What do we see, what do you see as the role of the pharmacist in the future, given current evidence, given opportunities, and, and as well, how we are training pharmacists? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I guess to string a couple of cliches together, I think the future is actually is now and it's coming. Uh, and we're living in a very interesting future. We're living in interesting times. Uh, I see it with my graduates. I'm thinking about the class of 2019, the ones that just graduated. And in the far past, you know, a whole decade ago, historically about two thirds of those graduates went on to community practice of some sort. And in that community practice, they were valued in, in fairly traditional ways. But last year, the class of 2019, only about a third of them went into community. So they're there uh, providing pharmacist-led interventions that we all know about, MTM, inoculations, some are prescribing, opioid uh, intervention programs, smoking cessation, those types of programs. Uh, about a third of them, however, are headed off to postdoctoral residencies and fellowships. And it's been interesting. I, I know for my class this year, there are about eight that are going into fellowships that emphasize health outcomes research, exactly what we need to do to be proving and, and valuing uh, pharmacist-led interventions. And then the last third, I, which I think is the most fascinating group, because this is often the group that t gets to taste the future. It's, it's the more, you know, no more non-traditional types of, of uh, career paths. And there's a common theme, I think, in that they're all providing, in order to survive, they all have to provide value to the patient, the employer, the health plan, whether it's intervening with high-risk patients like diabetics and mental uh, health patients, um, whether it's educating patients in, in physician offices. They're essentially bridging the gap between the prescriber and the patient in a very valuable way. So I think that's, that's how it's all going to evolve, I think, for our students as they graduate. Yeah, I, those comments, Paul, make me think of some of the data I've reviewed in not, I can't say it's been recently that I've reviewed it, but in, in, uh, in some past years, looking at pharmacy school graduates and where they're going to practice, comparing that versus uh, MD or DO graduates and how many of them are going into direct practice versus going into other opportunities. And particularly when you look at different uh, physician type of programs, MDs and DOs, there's many that don't actually go into clinical care and go into other ways that support the practice of medicine or relate to technology or other innovative um, areas that may not be direct patient care, but certainly are related to patient health. And I, I think one of the takeaways you had there, there are a lot of graduate opportunities and that there are different items related to clinical care, but increasingly we're seeing pharmacists that are going out and are representing pharmacy in new or unique different ways and are perhaps helping to spread the message and the effectiveness of a pharmacist in new types of roles. Is that, would that be somewhat of a, a correct point? 
I think you summarized it well. I, I would add, though, I think with this COVID crisis that we're going to see an emergence, a very quick emergence of telehealth in, in a new and different way. And certainly pharmacists will have a key role in that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul, our final question related to this big topic of our conversation, advocacy and politics are considered by many to be quote unquote bad words. Um, as someone that has unique experience with policy, what do you think pharmacists can do to effectively advocate for the profession of pharmacy? So this question I'll leave open to your interpretation because there are so many ways a pharmacy advocacy can improve. But for your experience as someone who has spent time on the Hill and working with a senator and someone who's as a pharmacy school dean now certainly is ad working with advocacy, um, what are your recommendations for positioning pharmacy for success based on evidence, based on opportunities, and, uh, and, and, and that su ultimately support pharmacist involvement to improve patient outcomes? Okay, that's, that's a great question. It's one that I pondered over the years because I love politics, just like you do. And um, I, I think when I went to the Hill, um, you know, eight, eight years ago, I guess it was, I, I thought that, that uh, advocacy and politics were probably bad words. So, so I, I'm in that camp, I guess. But I quickly realized that, um, you know, pragmatically speaking, it's one of the few ways that a profession or a group of people or an individual can get their, their message out. You have to have strong advocacy so that others will understand, you know, what you're all about, what your value is, and, you know, what your vision is for the future. And I think it's one of the key ways that you do that. If you don't get your message out, you're not going to change the paradigm, whatever it is. So having said that, I think educator, I'm sorry, uh, legislators need to be educated. And one great way that pharmacists can do that is to advocate early and often. If you have multiple messages for a senator, perhaps, and you start early in the process working with a staffer in the senator's office, that, that's a perfect way to start. Um, getting young pharmacists involved you know, earlier in their, early in their careers so they can be effective advocates for the profession is very important. Involve patients. You know, if you walk up to uh, you know, a, a senator, representative, whatever it is, and you're just advocating for your profession, that's good. But if you can bring a patient there that can say, this is how it will improve my life. This is how it will improve my health. Incredibly effective. Uh, thirdly, I think uh, collaborating with other healthcare professionals, oftentimes, you know, our goals overlap and being able to be a force multiplier by collaborating is uh, a very effective technique. Pharmacy schools, throw this back at me. We need to make sure that advocacy and politics is not a bad word for our pharmacy students and that they're learning and practicing while they're in school. I don't know how you do this, but having more pharmacists run or more healthcare professionals run for public office, you know, having someone on the inside, very, uh, very effective. And then I guess lastly, the profession needs to work through its professional associations to have a common message, common theme. And as we're talking today, the common theme of value in pharmacy is, is probably a good start. So those are my thoughts on where we can go with this. So thanks, Paul. And I appreciate that you brought it back to associations and some of the work there. I appreciate that you mentioned other providers. Very frequently, uh, when I speak with other pharmacists or people that are involved with pharmacy or moving pharmacy to the next level, there's a lot of, well, we can't do this. If only we could 
hat XYZ. More often than not, there seems to be a lot of barriers that we introduce to ourselves. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts. What's, what's the best place if someone is going from, you know, ground level or from advocacy one-on-one, where's the best place for them to start where they can find the effective resources, where they can go to figure out where they can make a change. Um, we're not going to make all the big changes all at once. Um, we want to think big. We do. And uh, from, from that part, we have to start somewhere small. So what do you recommend in that regard? Well, I, I think, first of all, if I were starting from, from ground zero, I would go to my professional associations first because they have a knowledge of the issues. And oftentimes they have information on adv ad advocacy 101. I know um, APHA, for instance, has a, a nice primer on how to be a good advocate and, and how to uh, you know, get your message across. So I, I think that's an important first step. I think the second one is if you can make friends with you know, a local politician or someone that's in a, a staffer in an office somewhere, uh, they can provide really, you know, effective and pragmatic approaches to get your message out there. Great. Well, Paul, this has been a lot of great context for our listeners, and I believe it to be a very important topic. I often reference that the method of messaging is just as important, perhaps more important than the actual evidence itself. In that regard, it's a lot like patient counseling, actually. We know that as a pharmacist, we should have the pertinent information to share with the patient when reviewing their medication, but what you share with the patient needs to address their biggest concerns while also addressing the key points that you might be concerned about for them. I'll, I'll get off that soapbox now, but I, I do have a, a final question for, for you, Paul. This, this, question is, uh, this final question in each episode is meant to be a little lighter and fun, and you and I have known each other for, for a while, as you referenced, so I get to have some particular fun with this and knowing you quite well personally. And uh, you're well known to be an avid hiker and outdoorsman. Um, and I think for anybody that's interested, they can check out the University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy website that has some of your uh, professional, but also some of your personal highlights interested there. Um, one of your highlights is that you've hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, which I think is very cool. Certainly something that uh, I have ha have not done. Um, so your final question, uh, spe specific here for you, um, what's a common uh, lesson or point of interest that mountain hiking or mountain climbing and the profession of pharmacy share? Is there is there some commonality that you can point to that's either a, uh, an advantage, a struggle, just a point of interest? Interested to see what you have here. Yeah, well, first of all, Nick, you need to get to Mount Kilimanjaro before the glacier is gone. It's a, it's a, a great experience. So we'll work on that, getting you there. Um, I think, you know, I guess mountain climbing is uh, very goal-oriented, as is the profession of pharmacy, as are professionals like pharmacists. So I can equate it to achieving a goal, a professional goal, perhaps. And I think you need to be prepared. You need to have uh, an adequate knowledge of where you're headed and uh, plan ahead and, and have a pathway forward. You need to persevere. You need to put one foot in, in front of the other. And, you know, when a roadblock comes up or a rock comes up or a hill or you're out of steam, you just got to keep moving. You got to keep stepping, you know, one foot in front of the other. And you're always aiming for that higher ground, I think, whether it's a mountain or whether it's a profession. And I can promise you as you get to the top of that mountain or achieve that uh, particular goal, uh, the view from the top is really worth it. So it's, it's always holding out hope for the top of the mountain and, and what, what, what occurs up there. 
Paul, it's greatly appreciated that you've indulged me with that fun question at the end. Um, your, your response makes me think of a slogan that you and I both know well, and that's be prepared. Uh, always yeah. an important point. Uh, I'll give you uh, one final chance uh, for, for some remarks on today's episode, but maybe we can have you back for a future episode. Um, so to that, any final remarks you would like to include about the profession of pharmacy, reference to the great uh, University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy, or, or maybe some, some well, well wishes for our colleagues in pharmacy now? Oh, absolutely the well wishes because we're in a very stressful time for all of our healthcare professionals. Uh, first of all, the preceptors that we have out there, we owe them a, a debt of thanks for what they do for our pharmacy students. So this is, you know, I, you know, I go around the country and talk to our alums and I always thank our preceptors because they're really educating our next generation of pharmacists. Um, I'd also like to thank my faculty, and I know this occurs all throughout the country as this COVID epidemic is going on, uh, we're doing what we can. I know in, our, in my building, we're cranking out hand sanitizer. We have research going on about uh, protective uh, medicines. We have research going on and speeding up the COVID testing. Uh, we're trying to sanitize PPE. Uh, on the clinical side, it's assisting with the investigation of, uh, the, of, the, uh, of the contacts of people that are COVID positive, uh, drug information. You know, many are filling in the front lines when our current providers need some respite. And right now, the topic of the day is creating field hospitals for the state of Rhode Island. Our faculty are stepping up and it's very much appreciated. And lastly, our students. They didn't bet, you know, I, I don't think they bet on this when they started their academic year. I don't think this was even on the radar screen. Most of them are making the best of it because it's a very unique educational opportunity. But many of them are on the front lines. They're in their sites as P4 students. They're also working for ambulatory and institutional pharmacies. And they're really on the front lines of this too. So I always say this when I see the students, they really are the best. And we thank you for your service. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. Thanks for those remarks. And in our last few episodes, we've been sure to reference that uh, pharmacist and all the other healthcare providers out there that they are really the superhero, the real life superheroes we have um, that are that are with us today. And and uh, it goes to a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of us, when we graduate or leave pharmacy school, uh, we think back on it and and the experience. And you always think of the professors or the staff, the administration. You think of them in that role, but for many of those people, they are effective researchers. They are pharmacists in their own ways. Um, they have a dual responsibility with teaching. So, you know, certainly appreciate people stepping back to, in some cases, their pharmacy roots, and in other cases, it's diving more into the research. So, there's a lot of different ways that we're helping to address that. So, Paul, thank you again for your participation today. Um, these episodes of the Quality Corner Show are really fun and informative when we get to bring in some experts or or thought leaders, and I'm incredibly incredibly proud that we were able to feature you here. For our audience, I encourage you to think about Paul's remarks here and when you're able to consider how you can use this information to activate changes in pharmacy. Pharmacy is a great profession and pharmacists do improve patient care. We look forward to new opportunities for pharmacy and it's an important message for everyone to share and communicate in their own way. With that, I have one final item to communicate for today's episode. Our team here at PQS has a couple of favors to ask of you, our podcast listener. First, we encourage you to share this podcast with two friends. Because if you share this with two friends and each of them shares it with two friends, it really helps us hit a larger listening audience. Second, 
We also want to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you may find it. And then if you have any questions or topics you would like us to address, please contact us. The best way to do so is to email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind and what we can address so that you are fully informed. Our goal is to continuously improve our podcast content and to provide meaningful information to our listeners based on current topics in healthcare, technology, and quality measurement. We want to help you become as effective as possible in how you care for patients and improve public health outcomes. So until next time, we wish you well.